No challenges remaining for part two of our U.S. Open show. Hi, Courtney Nguyen. I'm doing well. Are you be- are you belly full? I am decently belly full. I'm better off. I'm sorry the board. that they belly's always full. We got yeah. food. They gave us like one bag that was our order and somebody else's food completely, which is fine. That's you cool. know, that's okay. Life in the big city. Yeah, you take what you get. But yeah, so we talked a lot on the first part of our show about Serena and Naomi Osaka and the final and all the controversies that ensued from that and a bunch about Osaka as well. We didn't talk much about Serena. I guess one quick thing for Serena before we go, because I was just thinking this, where does Serena go from here? I mean, Serena lost two Grand Slam finals this year. One of the most interesting stats to me of Serena's career is that in the first 28 Grand Slam events she made the semifinals of, she won 21 titles. So making 21 titles out of 28 semifinals. That's, That's incredible strike rate. Absurd strike rate. The average should be 25% by the numbers, and she went, it's going 75%. Holy crap. Right. Wow. I mean, just like coin flip, it's 25. Yeah. She got to 75. The last eight Grand Slams that she made semifinals of, she's won two, which is back down to coin flip number. Two out of eight. Big drop off from 21 out of 28. When did this start? So, so the, eight the, the, goes the, back the eight to... goes out to Vinci. Ah, okay. Before that, before Vinci, she was a great closer. Yeah. And like money, money closer. And since then, she hasn't been as reliable. She's had a lot of late stage losses that she didn't have before. She would have early round losses occasionally, or like third or fourth round losses, but these late stage losses are a pretty new phenomenon for her. So, if you want to take time to process that. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I, no, it, obviously, it's, it's you guys data I'm throwing at you. If you but. guys can't see my face, I'm just like staring and I'm doing that like math, math gif, yeah. math like doing equations gif. But, um, so then the two that she won then are the Australian Open French? Oh, the two of the eight are the 2017 Australian and 2016 Wimbledon. Oh, okay. Those are her most recent two slams. Some, yeah i don't know some i don't know sometimes like the the, yeah. the myth and legend of serena and right. just like like you said like you know like it just kind of yeah we start we stop computing the numbers and you just kind of assume that things are going on the it's, same it's, way, it's been yeah. a thing that hasn't gotten a lot of attention yeah, in terms sure. of her anyway all that is to say serena really whether she says it or not wants this to break this market court record that's not really up for debate for me she missed two Chances where she was one match away this year, that's got to be tough. Obviously not happy to lose this match. It, to, it's not even about losing to Osaka. I don't think that was really part of her thinking. I think it was just tough losing this chance to get 24. Where, where did she pick up from here? I One question, everything happened. I didn't make it to her press conference. So I was, again, chasing down people. Hi, can you talk about the match? No. <laughs> Sorry, I just can't talk about that match. <laughs> You're so Sorry, real... I, just, I just can't do it. Feelings um, hurt. Uh, feelings were not hurt, I understood. Um, I saw PK Subban. I was like, oh, hey, PK Subban. I didn't want to ask him about the match. but The probably, only PK that matters. Uh, the only PK that matters. Did I tell my PK story on the show? Of Subban or PK no, PK? other PK. Not on the show, but I think you told me in Mason. Should I tell the story of my PK story? Sure, go for it. Okay, so PK, so I, I go down to cover Davis Cup, which we did not talk about on the show. Davis Cup changes. Um, this is getting real off track right away, this episode, <laughs> which is great. We're full of food and full of nonsense. Hold our hands, kids. Just trust us. We'll get you there in the end. So I go down to Orlando from Cincinnati to go cover the Davis Cup vote, which I was very excited to get to do. Very glad I did that because once I realized that it was within a short, you know, relatively, you know, accessible place in Orlando from Cincinnati uh, with no luggage, as we say, as we sit uh, recording this top of a suitcase, more on that later, or maybe <laughs> not, uh, took a day trip from Cincinnati to Orlando. Uh, for this Davis Cup vote, which obviously passed, and on the, the day of the vote, 
uh, Gerard Piquet, who is a soccer player. It's called football. No, it's not, actually. He was in Florida, so it was called soccer. (laughs) And and he was there, um, and he's he's not someone who, if you've heard me talk about soccer on the show, which hopefully you've been lucky enough to avoid up to this point, soccer is not an important part of my life. Um, I've watched a fair amount of international soccer. I've seen plenty of uh, plenty of it to make an informed decision. It's not for me. I enjoy the World Cup. I enjoy the Euros. You know, I enjoy you like enjoy national competitions. Yes, exactly. I'm not at all into league club. soccer, yeah, you know, club, club soccer, soccer, whatever that is. So that's not for me. Um, and so this PK character is is on the is on the is on the horizon. I just don't know who this is. <laughs> so I go and google image the day i've heard he's there or he's gonna be there that day for the vote he had a game the night before in barcelona they have a team in barcelona apparently uh that's a joke i knew that part (laughs) but but uh so i go and look on google images for what gerard pk looks like and i google him and i've obviously seen this person before because he's been on guessing on spain world cup teams that i've probably watched and when they won in 2010 guessing he was on that team so i've seen him before to me he looks like generic spanish soccer player but luckily, there was only one of those there that day. So I, I would able to pick that up. I was like, okay, I know who this is. Whatever, fine. PK, they win the vote. He comes out. And I've been doing all these, like, you know, throughout the throughout the, uh, the, the week. I've been sort of doing these, like, forecast votes of, like, who's voting which way, blah, 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 blah. blah. I was, like, one of the only people kind of doing this. And so he comes out. They win. He's jumping around. His team at, uh, what's the company called? Cosmos. Cosmos, right, is, is chanting... President, 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 because he's their president, in addition to being a soccer player. And then he, they kind of get out of their huddle, whatever, and he, like, looks, and he sees me. He, like, looks at me, points at me. And he's like, I was following you on Twitter, like, all week. I kept refreshing. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and just, like, I was like, oh, thanks. I don't know what I said, but something was sort of, like, in my mind, I was like, being like. Can I get a retweet? <laughs> I, I, I wasn't even thinking that. I was just being, no, and then I looked at his Twitter later to be like, does he actually follow me? Like, does he, did he hit follow? And he, I think, does now. I don't remember. I don't know if he still does. I mean, maybe he saw some best of five. Actually, we know he's not a fan of best of five because the Davis Cup performs, so take that, soccer. Um, soccer new. Soccer 90 minutes in and out. It's beautiful. Uh, Anyway, I just thought it was weird. Just went, he just Ben just went so full circle. Soccer is trash, but it's short and it's awesome. <laughs> Soccer knows what it's doing. It's not for me, but I totally respect it as a success. Good for you, not for me. Good. Soccer is very much good for you, not for me. But I thought that it was just funny that like this person who I clicked, he's like, wow, he has eighteen million Twitter That's followers. What I said. That's why like, I was like, can I get a retweet? Like who? Like who? This who? Okay. And so to me, PK Subban, the, the, the hockey player, uh, is a. Like P period K period is a much more I think blue stands for Pernell Carl um, is a much more important PK in my life than Gerard PK. Same here. And and just like and the fact that he knew who I was and not vice versa. I'm not saying it's a brag. I just thought it was really weird. Like honestly, like especially because other people were like, "Oh my god, you have to need PK," and I was like, "I guess." <laughs> like, is that a thing? I don't know. And I feel I, I I'm somewhat conscious of being like I don't want to be like a sports writer and it's like I don't know like a famous sports person, but I've never covered soccer, never pretended to cover soccer. Yeah. I understand. I have thoughts about soccer. Like they should move the dot back for the penalty <laughs> the dot. shootout. The dot should be moved back. If you want to call it spot, it's spot ben much just, better than dot. Those are synonyms. Ben just, ben just did air quotes over penalty shot. <laughs> it's true. It's too close. Okay. Move it back by like a couple meters and it's a much more uh, competitive moment. I was a goalie. I played youth soccer. <laughs> A-Y- AYSO, yo. In my youth. All of this is to say Serena Williams. 
We don't think she's going to Wuhan. <laughs> ben doesn't think she's so going anyway, to what, Wuhan. So anyway, what I was going to start to say is that in, I don't even know where we started, but I didn't go to a press conference, but I was going to ask her if I did. Like, I was playing this after a victory, honestly. Being like, Serena, you have not played a post-US Open tournament in four years. Any reason for us to expect this to change this year? It's going to be like, kind of make it the negative. Make her have to like, mm. not be like, yeah, it's a good point. put it the other way. And I just didn't get to that press conference because I was looking for people. Uh, tell PKC Ben. Now I'm, I'm retracing myself. So remember how I got there. Okay. Now we're good. We're good. I don't, I would not expect her to play this, this fall, even though she is like, I think 11th or something in the race-ish. I mean, could, if she had a good fall, she'd make it to Singapore. That's not her priority. But at the same time, could being ranked higher help her? Sure. Uh, but I just don't think she wants to put the miles on her. And with her kid and everything, and I just don't see, I don't see her doing it. So all this to say, it's it's a missed opportunity for Serena this year to, to this were two slam finals that she had a shot at, and she will rue these. And I think it's just weird how she does this, okay, but... where she ends years on losses, like the Vinci loss and things. I don't know. It's weird to me. Here's a question for you. Yeah. Because I don't remember what we said uh, for the Wimbledon, or I guess we never posted the Wimbledon one, right? We never did. Yeah, so I, I can't remember what you said, but um, were these bad losses? Like, did, like, are these, is it, I know it sounds weird because it's competition, like whatever, yeah. but is it Serena's fault that she didn't win these two finals? I think that in both, she more, it was more about the other player winning the match than her losing it. And I say that even with all the implosion stuff we talked sure, about yeah, yeah. in the second set of this match against Osaka, neither was an unwinnable match at the same time. Sure, of course. And when you get two cracks at it, it's, you know, and it's sort of like, I'm trying to think, like, uh, who's an example of it? I can't think of who's the best example. Like a, uh, like a Kleisters or somebody like that. Like, eventually... Or Halep, let's say. Halep's a good example of this. Like, when you make it to a bunch of slam finals and you still haven't won one, like, sure, they were all tough and there's reasons, but at some point you've had, like, three chances at this. Sure. You probably should have won one of them. And obviously two is fewer than than three for Serena this year. Breaking. Breaking. <laughs> Get on that, PK. <laughs> um, but. Okay. I mean, you know, <laughs> but no, but no, I, I'm just saying, I, neither, I, neither's a bad loss, but two not bad losses are still two losses. Sure, no, of, yeah. of course. And, 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 and no, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I'd i have to think about it. Through, I mean, in each of those matches, she was thoroughly outplayed. I mean, these were not close. I don't think that the Wimbledon final was close with her and Kerber. And I don't think that this match really, with everything, it never, it, it, it felt like you were waiting to see whether or not Osaka could close it out. Yeah. But she was outplaying Serena. Like, yeah. like there was no, like you were waiting for her to drop off a cliff as opposed to, I, I wasn't this, waiting. This match for felt Serena. closer than the Kerber. Match. Yes, this match felt closer, yeah. um, for sure. In that second set, I mean, she was up three one in, in the second set, so she was in a, a position to take it. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I'd be. I mean, I would be curious to hear from fans who have who have watched it. Like, not like necessarily Serena fans, but any sort of fans that have been paying attention. Like, are these? Is this? Are these disappoint? performances from Serena is this that she ran up against players who like are you know my sorry I don't mean to keep stuttering but like my position has kind of remained that that the the field is deep I've said this yeah. a bunch of times on the, the show I don't I think Serena on any given day can beat anybody in the top 20 she could beat Halep in the first round second round third round she could beat her in a final but can Serena win seven matches over two weeks 
against this field, that's where I have questions. Yeah. And I thought she was playing incredibly well at the U.S. Open. I mean, so good. Statistically, she was oh phenomenal. The thing she did to Venus on that court. It was, yeah. She for killed sure. Venus. She killed Sevastova in the semifinals. Chat to Sevastova. We have not mentioned her. Who beat Sloane Stevens, who had a pretty good tournament herself. Yeah, I thought, she did. really, even though it was only sure. a quarterfinal, that win over Vika for Sloane was great. And we'll kind of zoom out to the rest of the tournament in a bit, or maybe now. I don't know. Um, yeah, the thing with Osaka, though, compared to Kerber, Kerber went into that match having already beaten Serena in a slam final, having already won two slams, being a former number one. Sure. Like, she had a pedigree. Osaka was in her first time into the quarters of a slam, even, and was ranked, seated 20th. And I know she won Indian Wells. I know she'd beaten Serena before. But the Serena win before was obviously very asteriskable. Yeah. To use that term, which should not be used about this other match, their second match. Um, in Miami, she was still newly back. She was clearly not ready to play physically. She took a couple months off after that loss. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I don't know. I, for me, the second loss is probably more jarring for Serena and Serena fans, I would think, and for expectations. Because if you look at on paper, if you say to Serena pre-tournament and Wimbledon, okay, you'll make the final to play Kerber. She'd probably be like, ugh. But if you had to play Osaka, sure. I think mm-hmm. you are more, you know, more uh, sanguine about that. Yeah, that. I guess so. I mean, like, I, I, I would have to refresh my memory as to Serena's stats throughout Wimbledon and whether and how big the drop off was if there was a drop off in the final compared to how she was playing before. Her draw but was here, easy in Wimbledon too is the other thing. Yeah, the draw wasn't Wimbledon easy was here. easy. Yeah, yeah. And you still saw rustiness. You still saw areas of her to improve. I felt like here she was actually playing pretty, pretty tight tennis, but in the final statistically she underperformed like across, almost across the board with what she had done through the semifinals match by match. So in that way, I was definitely probably surprised. I thought, not that Serena didn't show up, but I felt like, well, I mean, I definitely feel like the first set was not great from her. Um, way too many unforced errors, but yeah, I don't know if she was tight. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. that's anyway, all that is to say that that's the end of Serena. We talked about that whole match enough. Other takeaways from this tournament. I mentioned Sloan. Yeah. Well, let's just finish the women and then go to the men. Sloane had, a, I thought, a really impressive tournament. She had a really good win in her second round match against qualifier on Helena Kalinina mm-hmm. of Ukraine. I believe I'm pronouncing that plausibly. Uh, and then beat Azarenka in a really good match in the third round. One of my picks for best match of the tournament. Mm-hmm. Definitely top five match of the tournament for sure. That was really impressive from her. And then lose, and then beating Mertens in a solid match. And then who she lost to Intensity. And then losing to... In an incredibly hot day. We haven't talked about the heat. We can just talk about the heat now, I guess. It didn't, affect, didn't affect the women as much as the men, I think it's fair to say. Because yes. the, the men had more retirements, had more sweat breaks, and more sweat period. Um, I was curious about that, like, why women didn't look as soggy as men. And I don't know if it's about the kind of clothes they wear, or the times of, ma- times of day they were on, or what it was. No, sh- the short, women were shorter on matches. way earlier. I mean, the women but almost always like, started at the 11 slot. Right, but even, like, when, I'm trying to remember, when Keys Millman, sorry, when, when Federer Millman happened, I believe that it was preceded by, I want to say Sharapova Suarez. And that wasn't like a sweat fest. No, match. it wasn't. But then Sweat Federer comes out there and it just looked like he got out of the pool every every 30 seconds. And it was so jarring to see. And it, w- it was gross. I, I went out there and watched, once that match got interesting, once Melman was like, chal- in the th- I watched the third set of the match in the stadium. And it was just unpleasant being out there. There was no air circulation. It was just hot and humid. No one was having a good time. The crowd was quiet. Really, really quiet. Obviously, part of that was about Federer losing and people being, like, stressed about that because that's a whole ordeal for people when Federer, when their guy loses. But also because people were just, like, tired and sap of being out there. It was just, it was a weirdly lifeless, it was unpleasant. This is the thing that I don't understand about the people who, okay, like, they're like, oh, tennis should be played in extreme heat and it's part of a physicality and... 
okay, yeah, sure, but, like, tennis fans should not be required to sit in those conditions to watch a tennis match for, for two to five hours. Like, that's not... That's gross. I'd be mad. I'd be like, nah. Honestly, even rain. Like, when I'm at the French Open and they're playing through Drizzle, Oh yeah. I'm annoyed. I don't want to be sitting outside in Drizzle. Yeah. I want to be inside. I want the match to stop until it's nice out. Yeah. I mean, at some point, we're going to have to have a whole no. discussion about climate change in tennis because yeah. it's it's getting to the point more frequently that it... That Times had an article on this, actually, this tournament. Oh, did that, they? About, no, about, about climate change beating Roger Federer. It was a it was a clickbaity headline, but it was... Okay. But it was... It, there was data to, like, back up, like, how this is hotter tournament house is different and we've just never seen <laughs> never seen players and like honestly for lack of a better metrics sweat this much like federer was so sweaty and maybe part of it has to do with one theory uniqlo first time that has been tested in adverse conditions if it's less wicking than his nike fabrics i'm willing to believe but k that. looks fine k did look fine that's true okay k, k didn't really have one of the hot matches isner went through 11 shirts which is an absurd number He's a not generally unsweaty person, but he's not like, you know, like one of these crazy, uh, I'm trying to think of who the sweatiest players are, like a, I want to say Clay Benova, but I'm sure there's a man to think of too. Rafa. Rafa. Yeah. Uh, Rafa was very, very sweaty. Uh, my team is very, very sweaty. That was a really sweaty match, that four-hour thing. Um, and not even saying it from, you know, oh, they shouldn't, but, and, and they, and early first week when the first heat rules, men got a heat rule for the first time for this tournament is the thing that happened, which I thought was a very common sense thing. I thought they should get two, actually, honestly. If the women get yeah, one. Yeah, I was really If the women get they... one after the, so they, the women get one as it is after the third, after the second set, between second and third. If I'm adding to the men, I give them one after, between second and third yes, and one and between one fourth, fourth and, and fifth. fifth. It's so easy. Yeah. I just don't understand why the rules about like why they have to they have to go out of their way to other the women's rule no. it's like okay so the women get it after two after two sets before it goes three so we're gonna conceptually i guess mean like uh, you get the break after an extended match so it has to be three sets and then um and then you can have one but that makes no sense if two sets is enough to trigger it for the women then two sets is enough to trigger it for the men it makes zero sense and i hate it and it's like this weirdly kind of like self-fulfilling like um, way for the men to argue like that the women are weak. It's like the women aren't weaker than you. You just choose to have a stupid rule. What and are you the, doing? The, women, the men have more retirements frequently at slams, including this slam. And I asked, I, I did an interview with David Brewer, who's the tournament director, which is I was it's like a kind of a surprise interview where they're like, here, here he is. You're gonna interview him. I was like, oh. And one thing I asked him about was that was it was about heat rolls, one of the things, and about men having more retirements in best of five, which I don't want to get into best of five again, really here. Or believe it or not, I don't. Um, and he was saying like, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? And I was like, oh, no shit. Like they're gonna, they have a tougher deal. Like again, just from a labor perspective, see previous episode cutting it off there at, at the, hopefully nipping that in the bud. Yeah. The men suffered more in this heat. It was gross. It was, heat, it was, plus it was you a, slow down the courts. Yeah. And, I mean, they it's slowed, and, like, and it's intentionally slowed down. They admitted they're like, oh. we wanted to slow down the courts. Jim Courier said that they did it for help American players. I, I heard that secondhand. I didn't hear him say that directly. That's what her, people said he said on, on, uh on the Ten, British uh, oh, on, Amazon Prime yeah. broadcast of it, which was their debut here, uh, which had all sorts of reviews. Uh, Madison Keys, obviously, was one of many players who, people who thought that made no sense, that strategy. But why are you making the sport slower and more physical? And they made it slower, and then they got hit with the double whammy of having to be incredibly humid, which made it even slower on top of that. That was not necessarily foreseen, but it couldn't be completely unexpected, and that summer is more humid than... Like an Indian Wells, obviously, yeah, which yeah. which has a, a gritty, gritty court. Uh, and by the way, I think Indian Wells matches are bad. 
I think every year Indian Wells does not produce good tennis. The high quality tennis doesn't happen in Indian Wells. It's a very pleasant place to be, but the tennis itself does not look great. Slow court tennis does not look great. Same thing I would say for WTA, Singapore. I mean, just other. It's a combination of the air and the balls and the the grit on the court and things like that. But when you slow the courts down too much, it's not pleasant. I mean, I I I guess we can sit there and be like, oh, that was a Herculean twenty nine shot rally, but was it like? Do you need that? <laughs> no. I mean, you can have a 19 shot rally. It can be also very good. I don't know. I just. A gentleman's eight shot rally is fine, honestly. <laughs> a gentleman's nine. A gentleman's nine. That sounds different. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so so all I have to say, so the heat was a big story. Um, and the heat obviously got to, I don't know if you want to just make this a US Open catch law. We'll get to Djokovic, I hope. Um, <laughs> but like the heat caused a bunch of things, including Cornet. The heat was a precipitator of her going off in the heat break and coming back. The, tennis had so many moments in this tournament. I think more than anything, and this is why at tennis Twitter, I believe, came up with the phrase "the locals," where non-tennis media and non-tennis followers felt um, summoned or felt wanted to weigh in. And obviously, being a Grand Slam is always going to happen, especially U.S. Open in Same the as U.S. In as if Wimbledon has a high profile, right? Wimbledon U.S. Open are the two biggest things, right? So, and even just on days, not even tabloids, just like morning talk shows. No, but I'm just saying, yeah. like, in, in terms of Wimbledon, tabloid means something right. different Wimbledon. Wimbledon. So, I'm right, saying yeah. Wimbledon, tabloid yeah, Wimbledon, reporters, correctly. yeah. But in terms of having these issues, so like the the Bernard Guticelli talking about Serena's outfit at the French Open, again, not even again, excuse me, I said this before on air, but like, what is he doing making this kind of headline? Even if it's just like an offhand remark, like he should know... I mean, again, the savvy of Federation presidents in front of media is questionable to me during this tournament. I'll just say that. Um, and I, you know what I'm talking about if you saw anything on ESPN this morning. But, yes, it was, yeah, to be clear, it was Katrina Adams on ESPN <laughs> with Mary Jo Fernandez and Chris McKenzie. It was a, it was a good, great work by Chris McKenzie and Mary Jo. Uh, less decisively great work by Katrina Adams. All this to say, like, that, so this hijacked it. It became this whole, like, how dare they stop her from wearing her catsuit thing? And, like, in tennis, we're like, huh? Like, first of all, she's not, she wore that at one tournament. And then people were like, oh, wow, she showed them, she showed up in a 2 2 this tournament. And it's like, yeah, that was preordained. Like, that was not something she did in protest. She did not have a sudden, she didn't call her anarchist ballerina friend and be like, I need a 2 2 to, you know, show these patriarchies. It's been on, in the works but for all, months in advance. And my favorite, my favorite yeah. the one, though, the take that I read was, Serena should boycott the U.S. Open to teach the French Open a lesson. That was good. And that finally triggered me to be like, I'm just putting it out there. The four Grand Slams are operated by four different entities. <laughs> That's like being like, I'm going to show Adidas by buying Nike, you know, like, or, well, yeah. Nike. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just like... Shout out to Serena, by the way, for engaging on the Kaepernick stuff during the tournament sidebar. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. she's usually someone, and she's obviously being a Jehovah's Witness. As a, doesn't as a directing thing, doesn't get into electoral politics, yeah, I would yeah. say. But with Kaepernick, which is certainly a not a political issue, she's been pretty strong uh, supporting him and talking about him and steps. Well, and she's also had her own, him. like you know, um, when her return from India Wells and and yeah. you know, trying right. to shine a line but on. This is and... this is a more direct, like this doesn't necessarily associate with me. This Kaepernick, she could say like it's not her, it's not her domain. She could easily say like sure, she could easily shrug that off, but she embraced that in a way that she doesn't always. So that was notable and admirable for her to lean into the Kaepernick stuff. But yeah, so the Cornet issue became a, a flashpoint. The Guticelli thing became a flashpoint. Obviously, the Serena Osaka thing became a flashpoint. And all of these were, and, and they were just, again, like things were just like, I don't know. Is 
I'll pose it as a question. Is tennis helped by these mainstream moments? It is. Yeah? I think it is. I think that, because I thought about it quite a bit, like, the last probably few months, because this kind of keeps happening. Um, Serena I, because Serena, causes it a lot. Serena yeah. causes it a lot. Maria, last year, kind yeah. of elevates it as well when, when people outside weigh in. And, um, and I think that it does. And I think the reason why is because I think that it does highlight, even though I might disagree with a lot of the opinions ultimately, like, you know, when they get to their finer points, but I do think that tennis does need a watchdog. I think that this sport is incredibly insular. And I think that it's very easy because the people who run the sport used to play the sport, used to coach in the sport, like coaches are former players. It's very kind of incestuous in that way. And it's also because it's a small sport, very access related. So journalists need access to players and yeah. coaches and federations and organizations. So you're kind of handcuffed a little bit with respect to like taking swings and, and really, um, you know, taking the sport to task and people who take the sport to task present company included uh you know you get yeah. vilified for it because you're 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 like not supporting the team like right like if like you this happened to you this happened to me like i'm sitting there like watching you know Feder or sorry a team rafa and i'm saying oh my god this is gonna go five this is a long match like and i'm just having fun watching it i didn't have to be there that day and like whatever and i'm enjoying it and i'm getting tweets from other people in tennis being like why don't you quit your job if you hate the sport so much I'm like, that's like not a response. Like, yeah. you know, like I am enjoying it. If I wasn't enjoying it, I would not be sitting in the press room at midnight, like I mean, watching to, this. To put it in all hypothetical terms, it's happened with me at the French Open, where I wrote about Marco Cecchinato and his match oh, fixing yeah, right, history. Yeah. And I had Todd Woodbridge respond to me saying, you know, why are you always focusing on the negative? You should be celebrating, pumping up the positives in our sport. I was like, well, it's my job to, you know, and it doesn't help me anymore. I don't get paid anymore for writing critical things. And certainly, first of all, I get paid nothing for tweeting. Let's be clear <laughs> let's, about that. Let's get that out of the way. I Very get clear. really annoyed when people think that like no. our personal Twitter accounts owe them something. It's like, that's just free content. Trust me. <laughs> you, the unfollow button is right there it's if you don't right like there. it. But, um, and also, I don't, I don't even have like a Patreon or something if you want to, yeah. you know, but you don't feel entitled. Whatever. And also, when I don't tweet about matches, it doesn't mean I'm A, like boycotting them or trying to make a point. It's just like I happen to Everything's read be... into everything. Anyway. It's amazing. But people, you know, Todd Woodbridge was saying, oh, you know, you're being, you know, negative about our sport and down on the sport and, like, always being a hater. And sort of like, that's, I'm not in, he's, he's somebody I'm who works I'm not a hater, for, I'm not a cheerleader, I'm a reporter. He's a, he's a, he's a, he works for Tennis Australia, I believe, in some role. Works for Channel 9, which is a host broadcaster. Channel 7, I think Channel 9 too. Anyway, in a more, like, sort of bump, beefing up the sport, more PR type role. Not my job. I've never worked PR in my life. It's never been any part of my job to like make the sport bigger and better. I, I want to tell stories in the sport to help grow the sport. And you uh, love and, the and, sport. And I, I love mean, the like... sport. And for people to doubt that, but because I would not like spend four and a half hours yeah. when not necessary, I believe, whatever. Um, and certainly people don't, people have come to that conclusion and that's their prerogative to come to that conclusion. It's not a conclusion I think anyone who's ever spent time with me around tennis would ever come to on their own, but so be it. All this to say, I think what you're saying is right. When it does go mainstream in an ideal case, it can hold a mirror up to the sport but even, in a way that's important. Yeah, but even in an in, in an unideal case, yeah. like it, you should have an outside voice just checking you. Yeah, I agree. And, so then, and forcing you to think critically and say, well, is you know, it's like what we were talking about in the last episode about about you know the Serena Osaka situation or even Cornet or you know the stuff with the cat suit. It's like, well, yeah, let's like sit and talk about it. I mean, I think if there's one thing that's kind of come up in the last you know month and a half or two or three months is that I do think that, like, tennis does need to revisit its rule book. And I do think that, like, there are certain Victorian, you know, conservative rules on the books that have maybe 
evolved in how they're applied and enforced over time that actually need to be like stripped and like start again. Yeah. What is the rule? Make it clean. Which involves things like coaching. It, it involves cat suits and co- involves like coaching from the sideline. Like, yeah. do we need to revisit that? You know, everything from, you know, best of five, best of three to heat rules, all these things that like this sport, in my opinion, tends to be, and Ben's heard this, this turn of phrase often, it's very JV, it's junior varsity, as much as it's a multi, you know, million dollar sport. Billion globally, for PK. Yeah, billion for PK, uh, you know, internationally and has built up, you know, some of the, the, the biggest names in, in sport, especially on the women's side. When you don't have those, those strict structures. When your rule, when your play, your players, your agents don't know the rules, you you know like, and things are enforced weirdly, or you have rules on the books that are just have no business being on the books, it's just not a good look for the sport. So I do appreciate kind of when it gets there. Yeah. I'm like, okay, let's talk about it, and then I read, I'm like, does that apply? Like, is that right? But at least like force us to think critically and, because we can all tennis can be up its own ass. Right, and we, I completely, I completely agree with that anatomical description of tennis, and I think. <laughs> And it doesn't always materialize into positive, constructive change, though. So, but like, because when someone says, "Oh my gosh, how can they not tell Serena wear the the, the cat suit?" and the conclusion of the article is, "Here comes her tutu," when it could be, it could be reformed the leggings restrictions on about the Which, you know about yeah, the WTA but, rule book. But that's but the it, thing is that but, the yeah. WTA, like you know, all of that happens right with like the whole discussion of the cat suit and everything like that. And I mean, the WTA's position, I mean, this is its official formal position and its statement, I think they released on it, which is that, you know, we're, we're willing to look and evolve and like, look at the, the tour is willing to evolve its, 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 um, you know, uh, clothing rules to get up to speed. Now, if without that stupid at times discussion, like that sort of situation where it's like, it doesn't even make sense, but if without the fervor and, and everything, maybe that is just never a question yeah. that the tour ever thinks it needs to address. Yeah. It's not like intentionally trying to screw anybody. It's just like, no one's ever, it's never really been an issue. And yeah. then, you know, that's the power of Serena. That's the power of Venus. That's the power of Maria. Like, then it becomes an issue. And then the tour can actually make changes. But I think that that's the thing, especially, I mean, I think within federations and, and tours and tournaments, it's like a lot of times people just do things because that's just how it's always been done. So I do. So getting back to the general point, like I do, I do, I do, I do want people to like weigh in and to look at tennis and look at it from an objective eye, um, yeah. because I learn tons of stuff there because I just work in it. Like and people who work in other yeah. sports too, them coming in just saying like massive. Hey, even things like in tennis, tennis media, and you've been pretty much exclusively tennis media mm-hmm. in your sports media life. Uh, but like the thing about having to wait an hour for press conferences after right. matches, like that's not a thing in other sports. Yeah. Other sports, they come quickly or you go right in the locker room. And so, like, that's a good thing to have. Like, it's because the way it's we're used to here doesn't mean it's necessarily the correct way yeah, or the and, only way. You know, another example is, like, these coaching, like, the WTA has done more of these coaching roundtables yeah. and presenting the coaches. Like, they were able to get Sasha to do a press conference after Naomi won that's her great. quarterfinal. Yeah. And, you know, and I was talking to our friend Ava Wallace of the Washington Post, who covers multiple sports, and she was like, that was so awesome. Why doesn't tennis do that more often? Because in other sports... Coaches are a thing. Yeah, you present, yeah. yeah, you present the coach every single freaking time. You actually avoid presenting players, and you actually present the coach instead. And it helps the player because the player can do less media obligations, you know, things like that. And you can get a lot of the questions that we ask the players. That they're really for the coach. They're not for the player. So, you know, it, it's and and I was telling her like the person who came up with that idea is somebody who works at the WT now, but used to work at NFL. Yeah. 
And that's why is because it was in football. So, you know, we need, I think tennis would do better and be better if the sport as a whole hired more people who are not in tennis. Like they need outside eyes, but that's just not how this sport works. Because at the end of the day, I know this guy, I know this woman, like, you know, like it's a very handshakey kind of situation. But I think that the more that the tours or tournaments or players are rewarded for kind of hiring people that have a different perspective, I think hopefully that will change. Because I do think that that's, I do think that insular nature is holding people back or holding the sport back. And I've seen some outside hires who just do not make it in tennis whatsoever and come here and are flabbergasted and, yeah. And, and think yeah. where others will sail. Yeah. And so, yeah, but it's interesting. interesting you still have to navigate the politics, yeah. but hopefully you can like come in with like fresh ideas and be in a, be in a situation where people want to promote those ideas or yeah. are willing to take a risk. But tennis is very risk averse. So one last women's point, and then we'll get to the men's tournament more directly. We alluded to it in the early part of the show. It was one of the questions we got or one of the suggestions we talked for, for topics. And we'll turn this to you and, and however much you want to defend the shield or whatever on this or not, if you feel the need to. This thing about top 10 players not doing anything at slams in the last mm-hmm. two slams. Why is that happening? What does it say about the current landscape of the game, about the current top 10? Whether it's positive or negative or not, I don't know. But like this is a remarkable thing that just happened in two consecutive slams. Sure. With, with Carolina Pliskova twice being the last uh, top 10 player left. And she didn't even have particularly great slams. Yeah, she'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the thing about it, right, is that we say that, but then in the first two slams, who won? The first two, obviously, yes. Number one and number 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 two and number one. Yeah. Right. So, it's it's a small sample size in the last two slams. You're talking about Wimbledon, which is a specific surface. Uh, you're talking about the world number one coming into Wimbledon, having just won the French Open. Okay. Uh, you're talking about number two, who's number two? Caroline Wozniacki has never played well at Wimbledon. Uh, you know, like it's it's and you know you look at the the rankings at the time. The, obviously we talked about it in the Wimbledon show that never saw the light of day. The most surprising loss of Wimbledon was Petra. Yeah. Right? Sasnovich. To lots to Sasnovich, who I think at the time was ranked, what, top 50? Yeah. She was like a 40-something maybe at the time. But, I mean, but just generally, because it has been obviously something that I've always wanted to get to the bottom of, like, why is this happening? Because I kind of feel like, as someone who writes and works for the WTA, like, we have to explain it, right? And because either there's one narrative, which is because they suck, yeah. That's one. Or maybe there's an alternate narrative. I don't know. So um, I, I ended up talking to a few coaches and I would basically direct people to, and we can include the link to the article uh, from the WTA website that I wrote about the depth on the women's tour and, and getting it directly from the coaches, coaches who have been in, in, on the tour for a long time. And Mike Joyce and Dieter Kindleman were two of the, two of the coaches I thought were really, really interesting on it. And both of them used to work for Sharapova. Dieter as a hitting partner before he started coaching. And then I obviously Mike being there for a very long time in the earlier part yeah. of uh, Maria's career. And Mike said, look, like back when I was working with Maria, we didn't look at the draw until the quarters. It was never a thing. Like the idea of doing a draw analysis or like, look, oh, it, because you would just blast through the first four rounds and then the quarter started and then you'd play. That's why the seeds are bold faced. The others are kind of just left to blur in. Right, yeah. exactly. It's just no names, whatever. And he was like, look, like he, he's like 10 years ago, in Mike's opinion, the top 10 was better. I mean, the, I mean, which is pretty hard to argue at this I point, so. right? Because you're talking about Hennon and Kleisters and, you know, you're talking about Hall of Famers all packed into a top 10. Um, it compared to now, but he said number 50, 10 years ago, 
was nothing quality wise compared to the number 50 now. And and the reason that he said, which I thought was interesting because I never really thought about it, but he was like, the reason why is because with the increase of prize money in the women's game, players, number 20 is doing exactly what number one can do. Mm-hmm. They're hiring co- like full-time coaches. They're hiring physios. They're hiring strength and conditioning. They're investing in their career. With 70% of the tour on hard court, it requires you to be incredibly physically fit. So the, the gap, so if you're investing in your career and getting the physical side in shape, the actual gap, you take care of the physical gap, which is what I think Mike was saying mm. is like, was the big gap back then. It wasn't necessarily yeah. talent. There was a lot of knocks that a lot of the like the rank and file players were not in shape. They were not in shape. Yeah. They were just softer, right? So now you don't really have that. I mean, you're talking like you look at number fifty and they're just they're pretty much, I mean, yeah. as physically fit as any top ten player. Maybe a little bit less, but like whatever. And then it just becomes about matchups and actual tennis because when you go out on the practice courts, you can see they all can hit the ball. Yeah. Like it's not about that. So, you know, with with a Halep and Kanepi being a first rounder you know, uh, here, I don't, again, like, if you know about tennis, you're not stunned. I mean, especially, obviously, Halep had been playing well. But we also know, like, how dangerous Kanepi can be and how hot she can get. And that's what happens. I was and still then, legit surprised by that But result. then, like, but then the just the matchup of, like, we also know that Halep can get hit off the court by yeah. pure power. It was a slow court. We didn't know it at the time. But yeah. Louis Armstrong plays slower than Ash, which means that, the, like, Kanepi, the ball was sitting up just to, for her to hit the whole time. And we all know that Simona needs a fast hard court. She doesn't, or medium fast. But but slow hard court, like in Singapore, like, she can't do anything on it. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, and then you start going through, I mean, the biggest top 10 exit, I mean, it wasn't Kvitova Sabalenka. Maybe the no, manner. No, that we saw coming. But we saw that coming. Wozniacki was kind of hurt. Wozniacki was kind of hurt. She didn't come in with... with Halep. The, I, mean, I mean, Garcia lost to Suarez. Svitolina lost to uh, Sevastova. The thing is, though, I mean, as you say, and with due respect to Caroline Garcia and, and Svitolina and whoever else is rounding out the they top 10 They are not that now, top 10. Right, Ostapenko was not, it's not, hasn't been the bankable top 10. And that's a self-fulfilling thing because they're not making quarters re- repeatedly. They don't get battle-tested or they don't get confidence and uh airs of invincibility you know the way that back in the day that like your average like venus serena when the top 10 was venus serena capriati dementia you know and then kleisters davenport it was a much more formidable looking group because in part because they were there all the time and And they were rolling through those matches so if you're winning four matches a tournament yeah. You're feeling pretty good, even if it you you don't give a even shit if you get a, if if the other person's even if you get a random second round test from somebody inspired right. or somebody who's is pretty good coming up the ranks or whatever, you're you know you're more battle tested and you have more confidence and and now to use her as an example, Caroline Garcia for example, I think is be number four uh, next week yep. in the rankings. I know she played well in China last year, but if this was not going back to where her happy hunting ground were, if it's still like no, she's week top of, twenty in right, the race, right? I mean, but there's not you know anyway. It just it takes less to be in the top ten now than it did before, I think. Sure. And it, it I guess it means less, for lack of a better term, being a top ten now than it did. But also but like you said, the depth I, I told I hundred percent see it as the field catching up. And it makes for when you're there as a fan, when you're watching on T V a way better product. Because I mean, and not that said, I did grow up in a time when there wasn't depth right. watching tennis, women's tennis particularly. And I would enjoy seeing my faves, you know, or whoever I got to like Venus Serena, whoever go out there and just destroy some wiffle ball girl. Of course, it's all you know, it's fun it, to it was, watch it was somebody play well. Yes, and satisfying to see that happen. Yes, right. And now, and now there's more intrigue 
in the matches, but it's a different kind of product. And people, fans, especially casual fans, do like dominance. Mm-hmm. And that's not something on the table. I really thought that Halep, I'm, again, surprised at Halep lost to Kanepi. And I think, but, I, but talking to a lot of people in the press room, a lot of people kind of were like, if Halep wins that match, or if she wins the, just the first round, like if she just gets through the first round, there were a lot of people just like, she would have won the tournament. It I, just, I picked her pre-tournament to win the tournament. Yeah, yeah. so I don't know. I was but, wrong um, within an hour and a half. <laughs> it went quick and it went fast. I mean, you couldn't even process like, oh, well, that happened. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, but, but like I say, I mean, like we can sit there and we can blow this up, this idea of like, oh, all the seeds lose all the time. But then, like I said, the first two slams were actually pretty stable. I mean, like, you know, like the finals were one and two at the first one. Right. And yeah. then, and then you had Sloan who was yeah. top 10 with Simona in the second one. So. And then you had Kerber Sloan, Serena who were both multiple slam champs in the third. It's not so. And then, I mean, it's not, it, at the end, it doesn't look random, but the the early carnage is it takes getting used to because it's not. But I don't think you know. But I don't it's, think it's not at normal. this point it, does. it is. Is it normal? It now? should be like it's been for three years, hasn't it? Not like this. This is in terms of the numbers. First time in eighty years. First time in eighty years that back, consecutive seasons, back to back seasons, produced eight different champions. I know. Yes. Yeah, right. Like so, this has been. I mean, in terms of the the fluctuation. Champions, yes. I just feel like er, first week chaos has been more is two two in a row. Yeah, no, that's like fair. That seems, feels historic. That's fair. No, yeah. I, I I understand that. Like, I guess like, I don't know. I guess because I cover the tournaments week in week out, I just there has very rarely ever been a big tournament that ended super random, like. The last one would have been Viznina Indian Wells. Mm-hmm. Maybe that year Panetta Indian Wells, and then she won US Open. I don't think anybody saw those two. That Middle happening. East swing when, when Carla and Arani Oh, Carla won and Arani. Yes, that was that was a big one, but that was a lot of pullouts yeah. that happened in that one. Um so the field was soft from the start. Yeah. Um but 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 you know, if you talk about the last three years, like again, I think the most the most kind of like, huh, was Vesnina. I think it's a new normal. I and mean, maybe I, I, just, I just think I just think the short list of contenders is longer than ever. And and yes. you know, whatever that means. <laughs> so anyway, I mean yeah, we talked about death before, but it is certainly a different landscape and shapes up again. I think the matches themselves are way more interesting. I think that draw analysis it's almost gone too far in the other direction where like it's almost like a little bit pointless to do because, because projected you don't know who's going to make it a fourth anything. round, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Projected fourth round. <laughs> None of these people right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, make, yeah, sure. make it there. No, yeah. Anyhow, um, I think that's about it for women. I think. Yeah. Okay. I don't have much else to say. I don't know. I, I think we covered enough dudes. Oh, quick shout out to Madison Keys for making the semi, which yeah. I don't think anybody would have expected her to do at the start of the tournament. She handled so the pressure of defending all really those did. points. And coming back here, she was the only one of the four to make it back yeah. of them. And she, yeah, I agree, echo that. So I just want to shout out. She's and not, she got she got flat out outplayed by Osaka. Like she, but she didn't. That was one of the better deep losses that she's had at the tournament. Like we know we've no. seen where Maddie kind of. I mean that one, and then when she lost to Serena, the the Aussie Open semi, she she played well. I in think that French one. semi, she didn't play bad either. I yeah, think that's just a bad like, matchup for it. I just think, makes her look bad playing against Sloan on clay. But like, yeah, and I think. I think all of her career slam semis, all four of them, all pretty good. Why am I only counting three? She killed Coco also last year. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. I was thinking losses. That's yeah. why I was like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. No. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so, yeah. So, so got to her for that. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good shout out for Maddie. Because, yeah, she did have an impressive tournament. Even if she's not progressing and not making the breakthrough like an Osaka did. So the the returns are good, and I will say that I mean 
her coaching carousel is getting a little out of control. That's a fair take, I feel like. But anyway, on to the dudes. Novak Djokovic is your champion, winning the 14th Grand Slam of his career, tying Pete Sampras. I mean, the fact that if Novak wins one more Grand Slam, like soon, the three most slam-winningest guys of all time will all be active players is pretty incredible. Uh, that's some golden era stuff right there. And yeah, arguing for big three. Um, although I, I, I'm a big poor person, personally. I'm a big poor truther. Hey, Andy. Andy's in Philadelphia. Yeah, I saw that. He's been there for a while, apparently. His Insta stories are unbelievably good. Right? It's just tremendous content. I love for the, the art gallery. The art gallery. It was, so like, it was like asking Paul. It was like this band go. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah. <laughs> it was... It's just very like, like it? Like it was just like, oh. How do we about this one? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was all really good. So yeah, so Novak wins. Doesn't get tested too much in the later rounds. Cruises past Nishikori in the semis. Beats Delpo. It was, I wouldn't say, it was a very tough three-setter. Very slow he conditions. because he played incredibly well. Right. And he played, he was a wall in that final. Uh, it was a 95-minute second set, which is insane. And it was including, like, one, I think, close to 20-minute game. Yeah. Djokovic was, was pretty dang impressive all the way through. Gordon Novak Djokovic was in a bad place, to use your TV show parlance. He was in the bad place in March, losing real bad to Taro Daniel. Then lost first round or second first match anyway pretty meekly in Miami to Benoit Pair. The fact that he lost to Pair and it wasn't surprising in Miami, which is like one of the best Djokovic tournaments, was like that was a red flag. That was like what's going on here with Novak? And he got it a little bit together on clay, but not really. He won Wimbledon honestly kind of out of nowhere. I mean, he made a Queens final, but now he's like back in sort of Novak the imperial form. He won Wimbledon, obviously. He won Cincinnati, completely Jokimon. He won here. Is Novak... Um, I don't know where I'm going with that, but like, as, as some people would say in press conference, just, just, just talk about that. Just, just, <laughs> just talk about the Novak. There have been many great players. Um, Novak, yes. I mean, I don't know that I have... Again, we said so much during the Wimbledon episode, nobody ever heard it, so... I'm trying, but like, I don't have much to add to what I would have, that what I did say after Wimbledon insofar mm-hmm. as like Wimbledon, yes, it did seem to come out of the blue. I don't think that people really pegged him to be, you know, a, a champion there. He played really well, obviously to do it uh, very, very well. And obviously has, has ridden that, that confidence since. I think since that Queens final, he's lost one match, I guess. It's like 20... One of twenty two or twenty two of twenty three. Yeah, I guess like he that. just lost to Sitsipas. Yeah, to Sitsipas in, in Canada. Um, so, which is incredible. He just keeps rolling. He was an absolute wall in his, his final two uh, uh, matches uh, at the Open. Um, I was cracking a joke during the the K semifinal. Like, I feel like K is playing well enough to earn a set, but I also feel like this match should be six two six two six two Djokovic. I mean, like. K was K played well and Novak was incredible. He he is exactly as you say, like back to being his imperial best, and um, it's just impressive. And and the thing that like I've just really enjoyed about Novak's kind of resurgence back to this this place within the big three is just that I mean he's kind of like Joko Unchained. Like he's just like letting Joko himself. Unchained. He is. He's like he's like popping off. He's cursing a lot more on court. He's not trying to be completely contained within this ambassadorial like i'm trying to be good like he's being 
like a little saucy and 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 spicy on court and embracing the little i mean not i don't mean it this way but like embracing the jerk side of being a competitive a highly competitive athlete and i and it's made him far more compelling for me to watch than like when he was like winning matches super calmly playing the exact same way then than he was playing now um i, I totally agree with and you being vanilla there was this for Djokovic, we talked about this many times i'm sure in our previous 200 plus episodes about Novak Djokovic. he's come up before on the show um <laughs> He, we have like a tag system on the Podbean site, by the way. People can look at like, hmm. if they want to click on like Novak Djokovic centric episodes, you could find a lot of those that are categorized that way. Anyhow, Novak Djokovic um, did this thing when you're right, they're trying to be a people pleaser and it felt at times inauthentic, yes. which is something he got a lot of criticism for and that's a, and for trying too hard, which is a really which unfair thing. Which is a really thing, unfair thing. He was it, Anne Hathawaying effectively, yeah. except that Anne Hathaway, I think it's like, a, I don't know. Is this, is this his Ocean's 8 moment though? Oh, no. Not yet, not yet. Not He's yet, not, not there yet. yet. But he, he could get there, though. He could get there. Who's it? Anyways. But yeah, no, he was just, he was like so vanilla and he was so contained. And, and trying, trying to, trying to be liked. Of, yeah. Yeah, and wanted to be liked. And it just kind of, because we're humans and humans are assholes, it drives you away when somebody wants your love. Like, right? Like, that's just how totally. we all are. So, like, now I don't think he really gives a crap about any of that anymore. I mean, he does in you know, like he gets mad when the crowd's like you know against him and things like that. But, but like, today, honestly, in that he was fine. It, he was okay he was against fine. against yeah, the no, he, was, he was he was ready for it. I think mm-hmm. is part of it. Um, and he's kind of maybe given up that fight and just being the best Novak he can be. But that's what I mean. Yeah, it's just like, all of the and even on court, like you know, like the myth of Novak used to always be like, here's this kid who like used to pack his bag perfectly and like every shirt was crisp. These are deep cut Novak myths, but yeah. Yeah, no, but like back in the day and like, but there was this very, everything was perfect. Like, like everything. Like now, like he walks out there, his Lacoste shirt is all jacked up like around. His hair's longer. His hair's longer and he doesn't even attempt to, it almost looks like completely uncombed. His collar's kind of weird. That. His shorts will bunch up. And he just looks, I don't know, like when I look, he's wearing Asics. I don't know. Like, and I look the at... Shoes. Yeah, the shoes. But like when I look at him, he looks unkempt compared to the Novak of five years ago. I don't know if that's actually true, but that's just what I see. And and the whole aura of it, I totally dig it. Like there's just something very weirdly indie about him right now. He's like rough around the edges. And I dig it because that's when, like, my favorite Novak was, like, 07, you know, 06, 07, 08 Novak, 09 Novak. Like, the King is Dead Novak. Like, that guy. I loved that guy. That guy was dope. And then he became, like, trying to be, like, Roger and, like, like Rafa and, like, I'm a super nice guy. And I'm not saying that he's not a nice guy. He is. But he had to do it his own way. And I feel like now it's, like, like, now, like, the boob throwing doesn't really bother me. Because it's, like, okay, that's your shtick. But, like, when you're on the court... You're kind of, I don't know. You're still kind of prickly, and I appreciate that. I agree. I, think, I, feel like I don't think he's a jerk on court. I just I think, think that like think he's a little more. Emotional. I think there's an inner piece about him that I sense. Um, that which goes yeah, yeah. which goes to the slob which is different than Zen. Which is uh, it was like a forced over, over, Zenness over. before. Right. It was just sort of like it's performative. It was like trying to be the same, but now it's just more yeah. natural. Performative. Feels natural. Right, yeah. Feels natural. The hair's going out. It's all. It's all. It's all good. And he's playing. As far as all those many aesthetic reviews we just gave, he's playing really good tennis, and mm-hmm. he's playing tennis that looks like his own tennis you know he's the novak game style is not drastically different from what he was doing no. to him before it's not like del potro who has become formed into a different style player with this like heavy slicing they now has a really good diffusing uh discomforting weapon on court 
Novak is, is looking really solid and is closing in on being number one in the race in ATP. If he has a strong fall, he can get to number one. Uh, we'll see how that. That's goes. a big chase. Is the is the num- the year in number one now between men, yeah. uh, between those guys and 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 Rafa? From what I hear, wants it, yeah. which I found to be quite interesting because um, I just thought he didn't care, but I guess he does. Um, so we support yeah. caring about rankings on this show. That's I'm a big fan of it. It's a platform you we should endorse. care about rankings. You should never want to hear a player on either tour say, I don't care about my ranking. It just sucks. It's like, no, that's the one thing that the tours have that like no one, nobody else has. Like slams might give you money and blah, 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 but you can only be number one or number two or number five or number 10 because of the ATP ranking system, because of the WTA ranking system. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, no. So I like, I like this pure unfiltered Novak with like weird bits and minerals in it. That kind of be like, <laughs> pulpy, weird, a pulpy, a pulpy <laughs> Novak. Pulp Novak. <laughs> I dig it. Weird. Um, <laughs> other thoughts on, so, so the push makes the final. It didn't feel remotely out of nowhere or like, honestly, like a breakthrough, especially, I will say, not really fair to him, but especially because the way the semifinal went when Rafa showed up there pretty dead and stayed dead and quit after, made it clear he was throwing in the towel midway through the second set and then did it at the end of the second set. You know, that's something that, I mean, it was routine for Delpo. I mean, I think he had a legit tough test from Isner in the quarterfinals. That match felt like a match he could lose. He won, lost the first set, one and four, uh, in the very humid day. But he was holding up better in the heat, and just he's a more complete player than John on a lot of different levels. So he was going to be the one to win that match if both of them were at, were playing well, and they both played well, and, and Delpo won it. I don't know if I mean as much as I want, especially if he'd won today, it'd be like Delpo's back, big transformation. Like honestly, he's been close for a while for me. This like, and he's made a, a few semis, I believe. This did not feel like the giant step that it looks like on paper to me. And I think it's just natural progress, and it's good to have him back in the mix, and I hope he stays in the mix for a long time. Yeah, no, I, I, that's a good point. I guess I never thought about that, like what I would have thought or like what I would have like theoretically written had had Delpo won this title. And I guess you're right. I mean, as much as, I guess, because obviously I watch a lot of the men's tennis like on t- like on the networks. So I watch ESPN. So I'm a little bit more, whereas the the women's like when I'm doing my job, I'd never, almost never listen to commentary. I only listen to like the raw feeds. So the men's side, I do probably, I am more influenced by the commentary and the, the force fed storylines that ESPN sells you, tennis channel sells you like whatever you're listening to. And so, but now stepping back of it from it, I suppose that, I'm tempted to to buy into the narrative of, oh, this is what an emotional story. First time since 09, back in a final, and then to win it after all these surgeries and things like that. But I'm kind of suddenly, it's, I don't know, it's dawning on me that Delpo being a two-time major champion doesn't really change what I think of him as being a one-time major champion. I, I think when he won his Olympic silver medal, yeah. In 2016, that pretty much announced that he was back. That was not a fluky run. He beat both Novak yeah. and Rafa to get that medal and pushed Andy very, very hard in that final. And he's, his ranking was bad at that tournament. I think he got in a protected ranking in that tournament. Uh, and he slowly climbed up, and now he's at a career-high number three, very close to Roger at number two. I think if he, I think Roger won Shanghai last year. So if uh, he can get past those points, I mean, Novak... That was close to number two. Maybe that will feel different seeing him at number two. We haven't had an, an outside the big four guy at number two in a very long time. Wawrinka never got to two? Nope. Hmm. So, 
yes yeah, so that, that's a, that's a so maybe that'll feel different and he's in there but yeah i i don't know he hasn't done it with like at the same time maybe maybe being Novak would have been a breakthrough if he hasn't done it with big ticket like wins before this rafa win which again was was rafa's body breaking down and you could see coming you should i should have seen coming from further away knowing how long he'd been on court and he went four plus hours like of catching off. Hours he won the two longest turn 17. He finished, yeah. But then he finished with 17 hours and 55 minutes. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I, like, I was super excited. Obviously, the Delpo made the final and, and really, really happy for him. And just, you know, obviously with the surgeries, it's a good, it's a great story. But, like, I don't know. I Maybe it speaks about how much or just what I think of Delpo in my head yeah like him winning that would never wasn't going to change what i thought of him he's which not. is that he's he's del petra and petra's del petra like we know you're freaking good we yeah. know you can do this it's just a matter of you putting it together to do it but when you put it together to do it it's not like you're surprising me that you right. did it because i know that you can do it at the same time though as, as much as I, we just made all those points i think it does matter a little bit for him not in our perception but on paper Oh sure, his resume is yeah, actually yeah. not like is that one, full. Is, is he's, got one, a... he's got one slam and one Masters tournament. Right? Is he is he a Hall of Famer? On paper, right now, I could not imagine voting for him. Yeah, that sucks. Like, so yeah. that's why you want it to like you know you're right. like I. You, you, you want to somebody... fill out the resume, yeah, yeah, fill yeah, out the yeah, trophy sure. cabinet a little bit. You know, get a couple few more Masters, go out and win two Masters next year would be even, and maybe one another slam final would be a great 2019 for him. Just have him stick around. It's it's just great. He's just such. There's no one like him at all. Such in a the value sport, add. who is who is this kind of value add who just inspires so much outright affection? That's the thing. I can't imagine someone not liking Delpo or thinking he's like a bad person somehow, so... and thinking that he's like this like high key like villain trying to do everything wrong on the That's court. That's a bad person. Yeah, I mean, I, I would question. I would, I would, I would want them out of this room immediately. Honestly, I will cut this part. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Delpo. the universe loves Delpo is the and, point. And, and so like, the universe and, is happy and, and with like, for him and sad for him. His charisma is off the charts. And he had this, you know, throughout his career. I remember he played a really long, another long, I believe, second set against Novak in a ninth session, Arthur Ashe, uh, a few years ago. I forget which year it was. I mean, part of the problem with the men's tour and part of why Delpo doesn't feel new, it's been the same people <laughs> in, the, in the top of the game for so long. There's been no... And okay, here's the stat. Ready for your stat? It's coming late at the end of part two at the hour mark, so we're clearly you know, front-loading this show well. <laughs> um, later this month, later in September, uh, Delpo will turn 30. And Marin Schultz will also turn 30. Oh, yeah, and at that, that point, no one under the age of 30 will have won even a set in a men's Grand Slam final. Ooh, even a set! Yeah. Okay, that's pretty good. Even a set. That's an evolution of that stat. Yeah. I knew the basic stat that yeah. that there wouldn't be one that was a Grand Slam. Team champion. and Nishikori got there and didn't win any sets. I think that's it. Is that it? Oh gosh. I mean, like, so Delpo is like part of this like last you know plausible champion, and this and that's a problem for 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 men's tennis that something in the sport is not letting guys break through, and that's a stagnation. As much as people enjoy it, I, I don't know. For me, I mean, Delpo versus Djokovic was a first-time final meeting. But, like, for the most part, we talked about this before, but, like, I've seen Big Four plus Delpo plus Stan. And even throwing Nishikori, because he's around a fair amount. I've seen them all play each other in late matches a lot. 
Like, there's just not, like, there's none of the magic that the Osaka-Sabalenka match had, which to me was the most intriguing match of the entire tournament. I, I, I hope that for their sake... Or Osaka-Serena, like, which is a final, right. that, you know? And so like... when I see, and so when I see Zverev <laughs> in, in Masters Finals, they're, in, they're intriguing. Yeah. Like, that's, and that's why it's frustrating on a lot of levels. He lost third round this tournament um, that he can't break through to Cole Schreiber. Who saw that coming? Um, yeah, that that's that a was bit a of a bad, stunner. That was that's a, bad, a stunner. That was a bad loss. Cole Schreiber four and wait three and forty four in his last forty seven matches or since twenty thirteen against top ten players. Okay, I was like, where's the caveat here? Let me let me stop that. <laughs> okay, three and forty four in his since twenty thirteen against the top ten. Three yeah. and forty four, and he's beaten Sasha, who's like a next big. It was bad. Um, and and Sasha's weird about it. And again, I understand. I don't want him to like crumble under the pressure that's not helpful he worked with lendl here by the way that early returns were not notable um i don't want him to like bow under the pressure but at the same time there's this lack of alarm in it that's like a little bit concerning to me where he thinks that he he genuinely seems at least expresses that he like oh i figured out the grand slam thing at the french open when i made the the quarterfinals if you remember I talk about that run, I mean, you remember what we talked about that, where he went five against a bunch of guys he didn't need to go five against. Like, he can still pick it up and hopefully Lendl gets through to him in that way. Because I want to see new people in the mix. And he's a very, he's the best candidate for it. Even above team, even above, uh, obviously, Nishikori. And seeing guys like, hopefully, Tsitsipas, who had that great run in Canada, can make it through and just... Because, the, the, especially with Osaka Serena, like you mentioned in there just a second ago, like the cross-generational matchups are something to savor. And we haven't had meaningful ones of those. Uh, in men's tennis for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, and usually those cross... Yeah, and I guess the cross-generational ones that really light things up are either, like, Team Nadal or Curious against anyone. Curious Curious Federer is great, but, like, Curious anyone. uh... Oh, should we talk about Curious Leoni? Sure. So, Nick Curious, in his second round match, was losing 4-6, love 3, to Pierre Oog Herbert. Uh was getting beat and lost to Air Bear at uh, Wimbledon last year. And so I think by retirement, I want to say, or like faded anyway. One of those controversial curious matches. And so it was like, he was getting legitimately beaten and he was fading. His sort of effort was waning. And then Mohamed Leani comes down out of the chair and gives what many people interpreted or call a pep talk to Nick Kyrgios, encouraging him, telling them him that he's good for the sport. And I know like, I sent you like, I know you're better than this. Like, I know you can do it. You know, whatever. And then the match turns on a dime from that point on. Kyrgios wins 19 of the 25 remaining games in the match to take it easily, uh, winning the second 7-6, 6-3, 6-0 from there. Like, this to me, of all the things we've talked about in the previous two plus hours of US Open rap, this was the most insane thing that happened at the US Open, was a chair empire, neutral arbiter, and again, we can go back to Ramos. Ramos being incredibly by the book. This guy was going to, like, one of those hippie schools where they don't have books. <laughs> like, honestly, just being this sort of, like, weirdly, like, hands-on, like, taking approach of the whole student type of learning. I don't know what was going on, but it was this weird overstep of the role of an, of an umpire. And it's utterly no shock that happened with Muhammad Leani. Because Leani is someone who seems to be eager, or not eager, but willing to be the center of attention in matches. And so for him to insert himself into a match this way, I thought was, I was still shocked by it, of what actually happened and how it actually played out and how Pierre Ugarbert would have probably 
or at the very least, possibly, plausibly, been in the third round of this tournament if not for Leonie's intervention to this match. Like, say you want about what Ramos and Serena momentum, like, this was the one where an umpire, like, no match I'd ever think of before, mm. you turned a match completely. And did the, and it's not like for making a bad call and upsetting a player, this opposite way that was just so beyond his remit. Yeah. And I was, I was shocked. Yeah. Ben, Ben was outraged. Uh, Not even outraged, just like, I mean, a little bit outraged, but also just like, what the hell is tennis? That like, this umpire. It was a JV moment. It was such a JV moment. The other thing that was so JV about it, we talked about before with like the bronus with, on part one with, uh, with umpires, male players and umpires. It's like, oh no, but he's a cool dude. Like he's always nice to us. Like we love him. Like we love him because you notice him because he's, he's a peacock. Because fans and players like this guy because they know this guy. They couldn't pick, you know, Carlos Ramos does have, I remember, Carlos Ramos has, I'm sure, people who like him and respect him, but it's different. I mean, Carlos, I mean, compare Leoni's theatricality, uh, his announcing, I'm sure you've all heard him shout correction and giving people heart attacks by doing that. (laughs) Even just his, like, rising voice when it's like, 15, 40, whatever he does. I mean, that's like, that's a level of, of, uh, He's ring masterness. The, he's part of the show. He thinks he's part of the show. And he well, becomes and, and, part of the show. But the thing is, is that and, and I saw this. I saw this from some some from some seasoned, you know, commentators and and people in the sport of like, they were saying like, and he's supposed to be part of the show. We need him to be part of the show. I'm like, and this goes back to the point that I was making early on in the first episode, uh, when we were talking about you know Carlos Ramos. No, that is not the role of the umpire. The umpire is not part of the show. Just not. The umpire is there to like make sure that things are like run according to, but like, you know. It, I think it's worth discussing at some point in this if like the chair umpire should that role should be divided into multiple people, like if during the match, for example, like someone else is like the announcer, like at an NBA game when hmm. there's somebody who scores a point and they're like you know James Harden for three or whatever, you know, like that kind of thing, mm-hmm. like that could be something that could be in tennis. Someone like an Andrew Krasny a different kind of person who's there like announcing the score like announcing no doesn't need to be that no i think that i think that what i i would it would not telling the crowd to shut up no it would not surprise me in the next within the next five years if tennis had a proper video review system okay i think that that's i think that's the evolution of officiating within tennis is like so that you know you and you can create a challenge system and whatever just like in nfl or or um, whatever the VAR rules in, in soccer. I don't think that every everything can be VAR'd. But, um, but yeah, like you can say, just like challenges, like, you know, where where even the umpires, like, let's check this, or you want me to check it, or something like that. And, there, and you expand it outside of just line calls. And you can expand it to other, because we have the video review, and we have audio review. Right. If I call you an audible sanity, and you want to be like, I challenge that, like, go back, like, show yeah. me that I said it, you know, like, show me, you know. Then, you know, so I think that maybe that, but, but no, it doesn't have to be multiple different people. That's different, though, to the issue of of, of term empire, like, grandstanding. For sure. No, 100%. No, but but I was just saying, like, in terms of, like, the evolution of of umpires. No, but I I just don't, I don't think at all that the umpire should be part of the show. I think umpires who, who, who are, I question that. I, it becomes a conflict of interest because that is not what you're there to do at all. And if that's like the, if, but the, the, what, if, but the frustrating thing is that if that's the message that you're getting from whomever it is, whether it's players, whether it's organizers, whether it's the tour, whatever, that you are supposed to be part of the show, I question that too. Cause where are you getting that message? Cause you, that should never be what you are. You are an arbiter of the rules. 
I can I I I I've talked to umpires about this about alluding to Leoni before about just sort of like how much when they're because they're on the microphone, like essentially like a concert performer in some ways, mic'd up to a stadium full of people with their voice ringing out through the stadium. Like, do you feel like a need to be entertaining? Do you feel a need to like keep things moving or whatever to inflect in a way that makes it or not just not sound bored whatever it is and they have different answers to it i mean some of them like say like yes it's good to have some sort of tone a good tone that's something they work on um and others are like no i just say the score in a a way that's audible uh so so that's the difference of opinion there um yeah i i just don't i just think that and one of the reactions i got defending leoni because i was going after him pretty hard that day and i had no regrets for that whatsoever because i was again shocked uh is that people were like well, this is the match. Federer Curious is a match we all would see anyway, so I'm glad he did this. Oh, that's a terrible take. It's a horrific take. take. Oh my and, god! And, and if and if and that's, that's beyond and, and that's JV. Like, that's like frosh. That's ridiculous. That's that's WWE. That's <laughs> what that is. And honestly, like, and if on any level, this is why this one made me so much matter than any of the other things that happened in this tournament. That's saying something. If on any level, Leoni was thinking, "Gosh, this tournament needs Curious," or like. I like oh. this guy. Curious is the guy who matters to the sport, not Air Bear, whoever that you know pile of vowels is over there. Like, that's a problem. Pierre Ug Air Bear had a, inc- has an incredibly legitimate beef with this tournament with Leani for changing the outcome of his match, for denying him his third round prize money, for the chance to play Roger Federer on Ash. That's a for sponsors would love that stuff. Like that's like a huge huge moment for him. And it would be the, I think it'd be the highest profile singles match of his career probably. The doubles guy, but it's yeah, probably yeah, singles probably, could yeah. be, and for him to have that taken from him, I mean, people again, this is we'll focus on the stars and forget the other people in these and situations. That's so and problematic. That's so problematic. So problematic to have this Kyrgios-centric view of that match. When for me, that match and what happened that match was almost first and foremost about Pierre Hoot, Air well, Bear. And also, and then when Air Bear was getting bageled in the fourth set, did Leone come help him? No. <laughs> that was very dramatic. Um, no, I. Yeah, it it just goes back to like what exactly? I mean, it it's almost like an existential tennis question. What exactly do we want of this sport? Is this like pure like are we going to treat it like a sport? Like it is like there are rules and they are enforced and they are enforced consistently and everybody knows what the lines are and there is no wiggle room whatsoever. This idea of leniency and oh, let's take into advantage. It was a you know it was a long grueling point. Let's give them an extra five seconds to catch their breath. Oh, and let's you know, let players pick what time of day they want to play. Right, all these all sorts of things, stuff. like anything and all, all that goes into that. Right, like do we want to do that because allowing that leniency, allowing that gray area allows organizers to create a more quote-unquote entertaining product right mm-hmm. okay but then you're just an exhibition you're not actually open tennis right because yeah. open tennis is supposed to be everybody gets in everybody has an equal chance to play like you know it doesn't matter duh, duh, duh. but if umpires are shading and if umpires are like gonna willing to come down and talk to nick Kyrgios, but they're not willing to come down and talk to you know benoit pair Right, mm. like so, what do we or come down and talk? To, I've never seen anybody talk to Fonini. I don't, I don't know, but I don't I don't think they even bother. I don't think they want to. Right, they don't want to. But yeah. that's the thing. It's like, but, but what you, are but, we doing? But, but Nick's charisma and likability and uh, what's I'm sure there's a word for it, like the I don't. It's not a German word. It's about helping people. Um, something about <laughs> like, but the feeling, the need to like the sympathy, the sympathy you feel towards him, 
uh, when you're like, oh my gosh, I want to go help that stranded baby bird with a broken wing on the train tracks sure. that Nick can have when he's like, you know, looking at his most lost. And that's clearly what, what Leani said. You know, again, people say, oh, it's very human of him. Yes, it's human. But again, for me, having a heart and showing compassion and sympathy is a fine trait in life. It is not what the chair empire is there for. I agree. And, I, and it goes back to Ramos. Like, again, like for me, these are very opposite extremes happen in the same tournament. I'm more comfortable by far with someone being a by the book, no nonsense, just the facts, ma'am, kind of judge up there with their gavel. You know, that's to me what Which, I think is what the rules, how the rules are made. That's their, that's their remit to use that weird word again twice in the show. That's their assignment. And sure. it's, their assignment is not to make the player feel at home, make the player comfortable, get the best out of the player, keep the player calm. Like these are, then keep the crowd calm. Like, no, like that's not, that's, those are all pluses they, if they, if they, they happen might be along secondary goals yeah. is to move the match along control things and whatever but yeah that the primary should be to enforce the rules i just i don't understand why in tennis we think our umpires are different than an nfl referee an nba basketball referee an yeah. nhl like you freaking broke your stick over somebody's head get out of here like yeah. there's no like oh but the guys called my mom a thing yeah okay not really here or there like you know like the rule is the rule you don't do that it's yeah. it's a simple it should be just black and white because that's how you control the game you control the game by making clear that the parameters are abundantly clear to everyone so that everybody knows that when you break the rule you break the ball and there'll be punishment and it's a fragile thing when you start bending certain structures of the sport holding can collapse quickly yes and that's my that's my constant fear because yeah. i do yeah I, you don't want the sport to look amateur and there are times where, like, from the outside looking in, it's like, what? Yeah. How is that even possible? And then yeah. everybody's laughing at you. Everyone's laughing at yeah. you. Now, you might be in your own way, in your own sport, comfortable with people laughing at you because we get to do whatever we want to do. But if you want to appeal to the broader to the broader audience and you want to earn respect as a sport and all these sorts of things, like, I don't know. I feel like things need to be locked down. Yeah, totally. Um, Kyrgios, and again, we, you know, you hopefully people on the show know how we feel about Kyrgios. Kyrgios, we think, is, uh, is somebody we enjoy watching quite a bit. I think it's good for the sport, and we got him a lot of slack. I think we said on the draw show, I have very little patience for his current approach to Stefano Tsitsipas. I think that's incredibly uh, juvenile and cowardly and et cetera, and just unnecessary. Um, and if those wondering, no, we never got cupcakes. It was Your that. prediction was right, though. I was right. I, well, yeah, I was, which was not my finest moment. <laughs> You're not going moment. out on a limb there. Not going, I mean, I was like, yeah, so whatever, but we did not get cupcakes. I would have happily gotten cupcakes with Nick. I don't, Nick and I, in all our time, like, have never, like, been actually, like, rude to each other in person or anything like that. We're just sort of like, just, you know, like Your him banter and, buddies. Like him and Leonie, bros being bros, you know, <laughs> just, you know, whatever, whatever bros do. I don't know. Um, <laughs> You're like, I've never been a bro. I guess bros don't eat cupcakes, but we learned. <laughs> Should have come up with something better. Should have played like I don't know FIFA or something. Mm, that would have done it. Should have offered to play Overcooked with him. Oh, that would, that would be interesting. That'd be interesting. That'd be a fascinating That'd be experience. That'd be interesting. Uh, other dude thoughts. Um, Rafa, Fed. Rafa, Fed, Fed. Yeah, Fed was Fed's had a low key, non good. Everything since Australia. I mean, he hasn't. Has he won a title? He won Stuttgart. He became number one by winning Rotterdam. 
Right. He won. So since how dare you forget Rotterdam Slam? So since he won Rotterdam, thank you, studio audience. He uh, hasn't done much. I mean, he he lost in the final of Indian Wells to Delpo. He lost first round of Miami or second round of Miami, the first match of Miami to Kokonakis. Skipped clay. Uh, had an okay grass. I mean, won Stuttgart final of Hall lost to Chorich. That was actually a bad. That was a weirdly bad, unimpressive run for him in Hala that he had to make a final. It's just not playing his best and kind of skating through. Lost to Anderson deep in a fifth set, which wasn't a horrible loss, but wasn't a typical Federer loss either from two sets up. And then he lost in the final of, since skipped Canada, lost in the final of Cincinnati badly to Djokovic. And then he goes out here to Millman in a pile of sweat in a match that honestly, like, talk about your asterisk matches. For me, like, I don't read into Federer's form. He just melted. Just like physically became liquid. And that's not great for him and for his personal health. And hopefully he's hydrated since. But yeah, uh, it has not been an overwhelmingly great year for him since the beginning of the year. Rafa, I think, opposite, has had a great year. Has had a year where he hasn't... I mean, the clay was unbelievably great. He skipped... He did not have good hard courts. He only played Australia the first part of the year. Skipped in New Wales and Miami. Skipped Cincy. He's scheduling more selectively. uh, Whether his... After all the time his fans spend criticizing Rafa Roger for scheduling outside the clay, Rafa is showing equal prudence, being selective. I think power rankings right now he's behind Djokovic, but he's clear number two in, in, in my book on that, and and at number one, and he can still finish year number one, and he's he's doing good. He's not not doing anything that surprises me per se. Actually, I will say I was impressed by his Wimbledon. His Wimbledon was better than I expected for sure for Rafa. Uh, and winning Canada. Yeah. Canada wasn't the flashiest tournament for him, but it was solid. He beat Sitsipas, which no one else could. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's having an, an okay year. If you were to vote right now, yeah. ATP Player of the Year, who would it be? Rafa. The most complete year. Although, he's missed a lot of time. It's weird, actually, it's weird. No, no, it's, a, it's not an easy but question. But the thing is that Novak had a downright bad first four months mm-hmm, of the year. Mm-hmm. And I feel weird giving it to him based on that, considering the year the season only like 10 months long. Two majors. But, but two majors, absolutely. Plus but as you know from my vote last year for Lena Svitolina for Player True. of the Year, you okay I don't with ma- no majors slam. aren't everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, I that respect was a, That was a particularly it. weird year in WTA, obviously. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, Novak, uh, Novak is definitely... If Novak wins one more Masters event or London... I think, and, and Rafa doesn't win London, mm. I think I would give it, or both Masters events, I would probably give it to Novak. But if it ends now, uh, they both need, if neither wins another tournament, I would probably lean Rafa. Especially okay. if he finishes number one. But jury's still out. It's, it's, a, it's a close finish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't have an answer. I mean, I'd probably say Rafa right now, but... Um, yeah, makes the fall. Yeah. Certainly but interesting. But interesting, his US Open, like, he does a it seems like on hard courts and, he, and again he had a really easy it has to be said he had a really soft run to the title here last year so coming in here as defending champion didn't have the same i wasn't like oh yeah he's gonna do well and then he made life difficult for himself in a lot of matches in a dare say zverevian way where he would just i mean go well in, that being said i mean it's not like yes he went deep but it, like the matches were long, but their his opponents played lights out. It, like Zverev, not, not Basilashvili though. Well, not that that was only four sets. Yeah, no, but still, it's an unnecessary set but like, for him. Kashinov and 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 Kashinov and team, played really well. Kashinov was impressive. They played incredibly well. It, yeah, it's true. not like Zverev who was just like like you literally have no business being in five sets with these people. That's true. That's true. Yeah. That was that was harsh. So, yeah. Rafa, you were not Zverev. I apologize. 
Uh, other thoughts on... That's a hill that I will die on. Other um... <laughs> other thoughts on guys? France had a really bad year, Loki. Yeah, I mean, but, I mean... They had injuries. Yeah, their alphas squat. are all I think out. Aging. Anyway, but yeah, yeah, but they didn't make... I don't think no French man or woman mm-hmm. made the quarters of a Grand Slam this year for the first time since 1980. Garcia did not. Sorry, oh, yeah, okay. I yeah. thought she did, but no, okay. No, she didn't. So... Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Should we talk about Andy Murray? Sure. He came back. He We talked about his Instagram, which I think is the most important part. But he had uh, a salty tournament with Rodasco. I appreciated that. I appreciate that Andy is like back with like very few fucks to give. In this way that I find really pleasant. Yeah, no. He, he's come back kind of to enjoy his time being on yeah. tour. Like he's... I mean, there's a irreverence yeah. about what he about how he's going about things at the moment and that makes it fun uh um, well at the same time still caring like in washington uh, exactly 100 percent, 100 percent. but but i think that back in the back of his head you know you can have that irreverence and also still obviously really care when you also know deep in the back of your mind that you're not there yet but i think is i feel i feel it's like uh same way i said about Djokovic. maybe this is just maturity but like his, he feels like there's a security about him, and there's like there's like oh a, he's always had that. I think he's always had that, but it's more now. It's just like this sort of like this sort of there's not a need to like be pleasing people, you know, in this way that maybe he was careful more careful yeah, yeah, before. Yeah. I think he cares less about that now. True. And I admire. But that. also, when, once you win Wimbledon, you can probably once you win it twice and get knighted. Yeah. And gold medalist. Yeah. And you become a kids. you kind of become a bit. I mean, he's a bit of a untouchable over there. I think at this point, maybe I'm wrong, but. I don't know. You know. So that's the dudes. Uh, and that's the show, I guess. Sure. Other, other tournament thoughts? Big shout out to our boy Pat LaFrida. Keeping us <laughs> I didn't fed. have one. What? I didn't have one. What? I had no money on my card, so I just didn't, like, on my credentials. They're pricey. They're, they're a $19, whole card dollars, they're a whole and it was just item. like, well, yeah. So. What no. did you eat during this tournament? I had tuna melts. Okay. My, bo- my boy makes a good cheesesteak up in there in that uh, in media dining. He makes a really good cheesesteak. My editor and I had one of those today. It looked tasty. It was real. I mean, he. I don't know what he does that makes it particularly special, but they're very delicious. Uh, burgers, cheeseburger, mm-hmm. salad bar. Uh, I liked the baked potato bar. I never tried that. It was quite good. I actually never used the, the staffed, far right. The, the staffed part of the. I never used anything behind like at the grill. I didn't grill anything this tournament. I was strictly wow. salad bar and Pat Lafrida. So I would get the salad bar for the first, like, most of the tournament. They had really, really good hummus. It got swapped out or a different It got recipe. weird. It got real it got, hard. It got, it got mu- it used to be really creamy and delicious yeah. and wonderful. Then it got it much less creamy, just sort of just, like, drier. Yeah. And more of a... Uh, yeah, not even chunky, but, like, more of... I'm trying to think of what the food is, like, consistency of. Huh. I won't come up with an easy answer, but... Like, I want to say, like, doughier hummus. Yeah, well, but, but anyway, so I would put get the hummus. They had shrimp, which was really fancy. Get the hummus and the shrimp together. Pay for that by weight, which is you know never knew how much it was going to be. So that was interesting. Uh, and you just don't know how much the hummus weighs at various densities of hummus they offer. So it's tough to know. Then you go, you get the um, the lemon wedges that are over by the the tea stand. Get a lot of lemon, like seven or eight lemons. Just go <laughs> go nuts with the lemon wedges, and then uh, Tabasco. And just like swirl it up, it was beautiful. <laughs> so gross watching you eat it, but I know that you were enjoying it. Was it, it was a flavor explosion <laughs> for which I was grateful. And cool, it, was, man. it was healthy. Yeah, and all those ingredients are, are are good for you, right? Okay, 
I tell myself. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Hummus is good for you, right? That's beans and then tahini. <laughs> that's good. And then and shrimp. That's 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 the that's the um, the vegetable of the sea. And then and then there's uh, a. <laughs> um, and then seaweed. and then lemon lemon fights off the scurvy. <laughs> Then, Which you can pick up in the uh, in the press room when we tell you. And then Tabasco, um, you know, okay. whatever spicy food is yeah. supposed to do to your, your immune system. So it's all good. And I recommend that. I'll make my own Bon Appetit video for it. That's it for us, believe it or not. That's our cue. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of No Challenges Remaining. If you want to follow along or you're not listening, do so. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash ncrpodcast. We're also on Twitter at ncr underscore tennis are more active of our two accounts of those send us the alert by the way when everyone whenever anyone runs out of challenges it's our little thing it's cute <laughs> you know say that simone Bellelli has ncr, NCR tennis, tennis. And it, it, it it's great it's our little corner of internet over there our email is no challenges many gmail.com you can follow along with us on any podcast app of your choice like uh itunes overcast stitcher etc maybe there's more who cares you, you know what they are and <laughs> Courtney, do you have any other rant rave thoughts? I, re- I really don't. It's two th- it's two thirty in the morning, so I'm gonna go ahead and say my rave is like going to sleep pretty soon. My rave will also be for sleep. I've been on the road for a very long time. It feels like I've not been home without working for more than four days since beginning of May. So that's a lot. Cause I cause I had a very short window between when I got back from Europe and when the city opened started. So that was tough this year. And I'm ready to do to clock out and sleep. And with that, wish you all sweet dreams. <laughs> Jesus Christ man, just end the podcast. <laughs> Two of you had dinner